Welcome to Inside Parliament, a weekly catch-up coming to you here from the legendary Beehive Studio in Parliament. We've got some very special guests this week. Andrea Vance is away in the Southern Ocean. So with us we have Yvonne Tahana, who is our Māori Affairs reporter at One News and has been helping me out this week. Thank God for Yvonne. <laughs> <laughs> and Sam Suchdeva, who is the Foreign Affairs Editor, something like that. He's got some special foreign topic. affairs and trade. Foreign Very affairs important and trade to get editor right. at Newsroom, uh, the website, also based here in the press gallery, and he's our expert on TPP and other issues. It has been another big week here, uh, and it started off with the One News Colmar Brunton poll. Let's take a look at it. Tonight's poll was taken between the 10th and 14th of February and it shows it's been a great summer for Labour since our last poll in December. Now Labour is up that whopping 9 points to 48%. That is its highest level in 15 years in a Colmar Brunton poll. National support has slipped three. Uh, still solid though at 43%. Down three there. Now Labour's support partners meanwhile are the ones who are really suffering with the Greens down two to five and New Zealand first look at that at three down two as well. The Māori Party and top they are steady on the one percent. So how does it all translate into seats in Parliament? Well Labour would have the 59 you throw in the Greens they can get there with the 65 seats. Uh, as for National still pretty strong at 54 seats but they've only got act and that 55 is simply not enough. Now, when it comes to the popularity of the leaders, uh, Jacinda Ardern has jumped up four points. Uh, she's well ahead now at 41%. Uh, she'll be pleased about that. Uh, when it comes to uh, Bill English, well, he's down 20%. He's at uh, 20% there. Important to remember, though, tonight's poll was in the field from Saturday the 10th to Wednesday the 14th, only caught part of his resignation on Tuesday. Winston Peters uh, brings up the rear there at 4% down one. So, Labour under Jacinda Ardern starting the year on a very positive note. With a new baby on the way, Jacinda Ardern's had plenty to cheer about this summer. And now she's got a slightly delayed post-election bump in the polls to celebrate too. People probably wanted to give us a bit of time and see how we would perform. Uh, hopefully they're seeing uh, a bit more of us now and having confidence in us. The surge in support comes after the coalition government ticked off its 100-day policy target and Ms Ardern's sure-footed and controversy-free visit to Waitangi. I want to be able to tell my child that I earned the right to stand here. After a strong start in opposition, national support has faded a little. That happens with a new government. Uh, the uh, big job, though, for them is to meet the high expectations they've created. What's not clear yet is the impact Bill English's resignation may have. This poll was mostly taken Thank before you. that announcement. What is clear is that Labour's rise is coming at the expense of its coalition partners, the Greens and New Zealand First. That is something that we're really cognisant of. That's one of the reasons why we chose to go into a confidence supply agreement rather than a full coalition. Of course, over time, I would have an expectation that we will see our coalition partners lift in their numbers as well. For now, they might put up with that. Uh, later on, it'll get harder. In our last poll in December, economic optimism fell sharply, mirroring a similar fall in business confidence surveys. But optimism levels appear to be stabilising. 37% of Kiwis now expect the economy to improve in the next 12 months, up 1% on last December. While those who expect it to get worse are down 3% to 33%. 30% expect it to stay the same, up 2%. So after a slow start, Jacinda Ardern's government has got poll momentum. Whether it can keep it up in the face of high expectations about what it can deliver is another matter. 
So what did we think? Did we? Did you guys expect those results? Did you think national national labour would have gone up so much? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> why? Why not? I mean, like the baby bump is. Um, she's. You know, the baby bump is the baby bump, right? We all love a baby. We love that she's pregnant. It's national are in the quandary that they're in now trying to find a new leader I don't I don't think it's unexpected really what did you guys and you both at Waitangi we were actually all up at Waitangi this year and and Yvonne it was Sam's first time but Yvonne and I have both covered it a a number of times and I guess what what sort of effect do you think what we saw up there may have had on that I think just good pictures coming out of that whole week um, does sell a story you know engagement happy people um, nice time. Everyone's having a nice time. The media's having a nice time. She's having a nice time up there. Politicians hate going there, I think. You know, Normally just, you know, they, they hate, hate going, going there, there, you know. Yeah. So I think, it, you know, quite apart from nation building, I think for Labour, you know, I think lots of people have said it, it's been a success for them. Yeah, I think, I mean, it was, ha- again, having covered it so many times, that it felt very different this year, yeah. and it felt and, and Labour obviously made a huge difference. And having all those MPs and ministers from the north and all that makes a difference. But I think people were willing to give things a try, and the Waitangi Trust Board had worked really hard on making it different. And, and she she made a very big deal of the fact that she was spending five days there, and uh, I think that was important. It wasn't just sort of a toe touch exercise where you go up, get off the plane, dip your toes, say nice things at the the dawn service, and then and then go away. She actually spent the time there and went to a, f- a few different marae, and I think that was very important. And I think the sticking around on the 6th, this is something that's always annoyed me, is that you have the dawn service and then everyone leaves, when actually the 6th has always been the best day up there because there is all that. There's the music and the navy and the bands and the walker and all that stuff that happens that actually makes it a really special day. There were 30,000 people there this year. And I think next year we'll see more. I think that Ngāpuhi probably haven't been given the credit they deserve for this year. absolutely. I think Labour has been given the credit and and you know what they 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 did they played their part as well you know they were engaging they talked to a lot of people out there they got around the different marae like Sam said but but also Ngāpuhi working together as a Ngāpuhi <laughs> to me that was really interesting it's to amazing, see yeah. yeah I mean you go to marae around the country for national events and you see how the iwi controls an event when politicians come that doesn't happen in the north generally. It's, you know, people respect uh, rangatiratanga. Each hapu can do what they like. I think Ngāpuhi are just over the lower marae. Absolutely. And, and, and the, you know, respecting what they did, you know, they said, yes, do what you like, but we're going to take over the, the larger events sort of thing. And I think they did a really good job. Yeah, do, do you guys think, I mean, this is the thing, I'd never been there before. Do you think that was what made the major difference? Because it feels for me as someone who said it was different to dis- difficult to disentang- disentangle. Is it... You know, the, is it the way that Jacinda Ardern has approached it, or is it actually simply the fact that it's been moved away from Tete? I think 60-40, it was Ngāpuhi, like maybe 70-30. Um, I think Ngāpuhi, really, the bigwig, Sunny Toe, Peter Tipine, um, Wasi Shortland, those, that ilk of people working together made a huge difference. They really yeah. wanted to, they really wanted it to be successful. Yeah. It was so important to them and it was. I guess the other thing, just back on the poll, is is that what's interesting, of course, is that those votes are actually going, and it's so early days, but are going away from 
Greens and the New Zealand First to Labour. They're not nationals, not actually losing that many. And this poll was taken in the middle of the national leadership race. We need to remember that. So um, we didn't. Most of it didn't actually count over that time. That, that from when Bill English resigned, unfortunately for us. But um, those vote New Zealand First down to three points. Mm. Um, not going to worry yet. But if that trend continued, it's a big challenge for those. And it's always a big challenge for minor parties in a government in a coalition arrangement of any sort to actually have some wins. Yeah. Do you think Winston's going to be around the next election? Because I don't think it matters if Winston's around, uh, you know, in 2020, is that right? 2020. 2020. I can count. <laughs> um, it doesn't matter if Winston's around because they rise, right? They always yeah, rise at election always. time. But if he's not, and you see that jostling for the deputy position, which will probably be the leader of um, New Zealand First eventually, do you think uh, it matters? Yeah, I see, I, think, I actually think so. I, next, this is interesting because... As well as the national leadership race next Tuesday, we actually have the deputy leadership contest mm. for New Zealand First. And it seems to me that it may be that Ron Mark stays as deputy and Shane Jones bides his time. Mm. And because because the assumption is is that Ron and Shane will both go for the deputy role. Shane Jones has said he doesn't want it. But how many times have we heard in the past few weeks people say they don't want a leadership role and then put their hands up for it? But does Shane just wait and let Ron do it and then when Winston decides... It go. makes sense because the deputy role has no power within New Zealand first. It, it's <laughs> meaningless. You know, when was the last time you saw Ron Mark speak as the deputy leader of, of New Zealand first? It's, it's all Winston. And I wanted to make one point. I spoke to him before the election about, you know, are you starting to think about your, your legacy and when you'll step down? And he said, oh, well, you know, you look at the US, there are some politicians there who are, stayed around in the Senate until they were 100. So, oh, so maybe us another 27, 28 years. <laughs> we are lo- we here longer than we're alive at this rate. Um, I think those those leadership races and the poll results and everything, we are so early in the electoral term that it, it you know, while you, while we look at them, we all want to know where everyone's polling and so forth. Things are going to change so, so much, much. So much time to run. Same as Waitangi. I mean, while, yes, Jacinda Ardern and Labour got really positive publicity this year, as we said up there, if if things don't change, if Māori, if Ngāpui don't notice a difference over the next year, if they don't feel like those ministers are actually helping them at all, I think they'll get a very different welcome yeah. up there next year. Right. And it's a big challenge for National as well, whoever the new leader is, about whether they go back up there. I think they should. Mm. Uh, it's up there, you know, it would, it would be a big call on their part and they should go, I think. But anyway, should we have a look at the national, uh, national entry of Stephen Joyce, now five contenders in that race? <laughs> Made world famous by having a sex toy thrown at him, Stephen Joyce is now throwing his hat in the ring to be the next national leader. I have a reputation for getting things done. Um, I've been active in government and in the party for quite a period of time now. There are now five in the race. The former finance minister joins Simon Bridges, Amy Adams, Judith Collins and Mark Mitchell. And a new spot's opened up with MPs today agreeing to also vote on the deputy role next Tuesday. The process within the caucuses, MPs self-nominate. Uh, what they do publicly is up to them. There are names being thrown around my head. Can you tell us what they are? No. <laughs> The only MP to publicly announce they do want the deputy job is Paula Bennett. I see myself as a strong, loyal, experienced deputy. But she won't say who she'd like to be her boss. I've got a whole lot of respect for different reasons actually, for all five. Now there are five contenders, don't expect to see anyone else put their hands up for the job. But with the deputy role also now up for grabs, expect to see some manoeuvring as leadership combos or tickets develop. No matter who wins, it's now a discussion about National's future direction at the heart of this contest. Nobody has the votes yet, that's obvious. Uh, And uh, actually I think a number of the contenders have similar levels of support. 
Uh, and this is what the contest is about over the next week, is the contest of ideas. I think there's perhaps a view among some that we can kind of just stay with everything we've got and uh, uh, our voters, uh, the voters of New Zealand, will see the errors of their way and come back to us. I actually think we need to keep our strengths but also freshen up a bit. The contestants now with a week to woo their caucus colleagues. Five contenders in there with Stephen Joyce. You have to wonder, uh, as I said in there, whether what manoeuvring is going on right now. Are one or two of those going to pull out? There's a lot of attention on Mark Mitchell's history, which is not unexpected, and he must have known that would have happened. Yeah, it, it's unsurprising, and you know he he hasn't shied away from it in the past. He has spoken about it, but now he does seem he's not being particularly proactive in raising it. I suppose, and that's that's understandable. Um, given you know there is a long history of, of concern with private military contra- contractors, Blackwater, so and I think it is I think it is reasonable to ask it's a legit ask the question. question. Yeah. yeah, everyone wanted to know about Gowrie's uh, Garman's um, history about uh, what happened with her over with, with the war crimes tribunal. It's only fair that you do ask the same questions of Mark Mitchell and um, and he says he's not sure if he ever how many people he actually killed. I think was his line. Yeah. But if you're going to stand for leader, you've got to expect these questions and this attention. Yeah. He must have known it was coming. I don't I don't think that's the important question because I think we can take, an, take it has, as read that he has yeah, killed course, someone yeah. because they were involved in a five-day siege yeah. on a compound. And, yeah. you know, obviously he, he has killed somebody. But I think there are more important questions to ask about, you know, the, the conduct of... of private firms over there and, and what sort of standards they were held to. And this was a while ago, though. We have to remember this wasn't... Yes. Yeah, wasn't yeah. Re- um, Is he doing a good job, like, batting that away, do you think? And, and, and do you think if he's not... I mean, what, shouldn't he be a bit... I mean, if he's going to be the leader of the party, we don't know much about him, right? I sit outside of these walls. I work in Auckland usually... Do we, do we need to know him a little bit more? Or the public will want to yeah. know him a bit more, and they, yeah. as they should. And he says he knows that's his, is his job now is to go out and do that, mm. as, as for people. David Shearer, I mean, I can't help comparing him to David Shearer and the fact that not many people knew him. He had a sim, not, you know, he'd had a, this international career as well. Um, and David Shearer, as we all know, struggled politically, has an incredible career, continues to have a career incredible career but politics and being a leader wasn't for him um, and you have to wonder if Mark Mitchell may suffer from that same mm. prob- problem and National will be thinking of that right now. I don't think he's going to be the next leader of no. National I think he could be a deputy though and I think he'd be a good he's, deputy. He's one cycle or two too early yes. but it doesn't do him any harm in terms no, of raising no, his profile pro- and, yeah. and letting people know and this is who I am. And also these questions now. Why don't you answer it now? Get yeah. it out there and then next time you stand as leader people know, know all yeah. about that and know more about you and know who you mm. are. Uh, there had been some talk that there may Maybe uh, someone pull out of that race in the next couple of days. There's no sign of that yet. But um, you have to think now that that deputy leadership is open as well, they're all talking about those possible combinations. They're going to want to go into caucus on Tuesday with um, a ticket of sorts of, you know, who who they are going to have. Do they, Simon Bridges, Mark Mitchell, Amy Adams, Mark Mitchell, how are they going to do all that? Mm. What do you guys think about Stephen Joyce entering? Because it feels to me that it's as much about saving his skin as any genuine designs on the leadership. He's he's about wanting to stay on as the finance spokesman. And Mark Mitchell, interestingly, in his press conference said that he thinks Stephen Joyce is best for the job, so he'll be hoping for a vote there. (laughs) You know, uh, we do it in Auckland. uh, We do a lot of jobs where we go and pick up interviews with Stephen Joyce, right? The thing I find really odd about him, and it's kind of also likeable, is that he asks us to meet him at the like this weird alleyway behind the <laughs> Albany shops. This is the behind the scenes stuff yeah, that yeah. people don't know. But behind the Albany shops, like when you guys need interviews yeah. with him, right? Yeah, Come yeah. And um, so I, 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 you know, he he did say, and um, he has said in your story, Katie, that um, 
people, I have this, you know, people have a perception of me, I can get the job done, right? Absolutely. But we don't know who you are. You know, you know, in a wider sense, like, yeah. who's, you know, and I get it, the families, you know, you just want to put person in context sometimes, I think. I think people do respect the job that he does. Yeah. But I find it weird that we've got to traipse out to some <laughs> random alleyway, you know, and I think that probably says something about him as well. I mean, you know, he looks, he just looks like a backroom operator. Yeah. And I think, and he's going to, he's, he's the next John Key, Bill English, Stephen Joyce, you know, they're all tied in mm. together. And they're all, and he even talks the same, says the same things they've always done. And if National want change, if they want to go up against Jacinda Ardern, Stephen Joyce is not going to be the face of change in National. And that's part of the debate, as I said, that's going on, is about what National is going to look like and what they want but, to look but, like. But the, the interesting thing is you've got, Almost every candidate is trying to cast themselves as as at least somewhat in favour of generational change, but most of them have been and senior Parliament. ministers in the last <laughs> government. So you've got Mark well, Mitchell. Mark Mitchell was a minister, but a junior minister. Time, yeah. So yeah, you know. I think um, what is another thing that's interesting about and Judith Collins has uh, we haven't talked about her, but Judith Collins has mentioned this a lot that this is the first time she says in sixteen years there's been a proper race for the national leadership. But actually, when you go back, because there was a bit of a contest when John Key resigned, a few people put their hand up. Jonathan Coleman and Judith Collins then as well said they wanted the job and then it then basically stood down and let Bill English have it. John Key got it basically handed from Don Brash. Don Brash got it handed from... English. English. Well, that wasn't handed so much. A knife him. But that's the difference. So Labour has these big public contests in which they go head-to-head and they traipse around the country for months. The Greens are doing the same thing. National, pretty much, their history have just been either handed to someone or knife well, and someone. That's, and that's the other important thing. We talk about, oh, the public doesn't know who Mark Mitch was. It doesn't actually matter for the purposes of the vote. I mean, I'm sure it's in the it's minds the of the MPs, but it's like, Caucus decision. The yeah. membership has no say. There is no no input for the wider public. I know that surely they will have it in the back of their minds, but they don't. If they don't have to, if they don't want to, they can just choose whoever suits their uh, purposes best. Can I ask, uh, what do you think is going to happen? Like, do you think whoever wins, because there's been five people put their hands up post this race, are National going to be disciplined? Like, you know, Nat Labour was so undisciplined. Yeah. We watch like leader after leader after leader be mm. elected. Are they going to be disciplined after this? Like, do we know? We actually do. I mean, what? Well, National. Um, have pride, prided themselves on yeah. their discipline. Having five people contest the leadership and who knows how many contest the deputy mm. is messy and does look messy. Whether whoever the leader is, if it's someone they they can all come behind and decide that is if they don't end up with this messy version of of having to. Uh, because of the way their vote works, if they don't, if someone doesn't get twenty nine votes the first time round, someone will get dropped out and so forth. Mm. That will get messy and will feel messier yeah. than the caucus. If there really isn't a majority of people behind that leadership team, they may struggle. Um, but they know they've got a big job ahead of them going up against Jacinda Ardern, and they're smart enough, I think, to look back at Labour over the past mm. nine years and, and the, say we don't want to be like the that. Key, the key will obviously be what happens in the polls, because it's very yeah. easy to be disciplined while you're riding up high, but if yeah. it does start to drop, then the pressure comes on. I remember talking to one national MP who sort of likened the caucus to a, I think, a benign dictatorship under John Key. It was <laughs> yeah, sort of the trade-off. You don't have a lot of freedom, yeah. but it's worth it because you're, you know, 48, 49%. Yeah. But as that, as that drops back and as pressure comes on, there's less of an incentive, I suppose, to hold the line. And and, together. and mm. they've got 56 MPs in opposition. It's a lot of MPs. There's a lot of new MPs, not necessarily you know from this term and the last term. People are still getting their feet around this place and learning. And 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 a lot of those minister, former ministers have never been in opposition. Mm. And some of those leaders have never been in opposition. So it's a lot to learn. 
But speaking of discipline, the last time our, our amazing producer and editor Adam Simpson in conjunction with the amazing TVNZ Library have gone and had a look at the well, last time there was an actual real race um, for the National Party leadership and it appears it was 1984 and uh, Rob Muldoon was involved. Sorry to keep you waiting. Sir Robert's entry into the contest brings to five the number on the ballot. The other candidates have taken a low-key approach. At this Miramar meeting last night, they didn't even speak to the disappointment of many of the party faithful. So Robert says he's finally decided to toss his hat in the ring. Uh, my reason for that is that I am not yet satisfied that one of the declared candidates is um, as capable of turning this government out as I am. There has been little surprise around Parliament to the news, least of all from the other four contenders. No, I'm not uh, not surprised. I always thought that it was uh, quite a possibility. What do you think it does to your chances? Well, it probably spreads my support uh, in caucus. You've generally been regarded as the front runner. What do you think Sir Robert's entry into the race does to your chances? I don't think it makes any difference to my particular chances, nor I think perhaps to those of the other contenders either. I think that uh, there are members of caucus who have decided who they're going to vote for, and uh, I suspect their views won't be particularly changed. I draw your attention to the fact that there have been four candidates in, the, in contention for quite a number of weeks now, and I believe the behaviour of one with each of his colleagues has been, with each with each, each of the others, has been excellent. Uh, that being so, there were no, no wounds created, none to be healed later, because only one person can win finally. There is no reason for it to be a dirty fight. Can Sir Robert leave that caucus with dignity, do you think? Entirely up to Sir Robert. I sincerely hope he does, and I believe that he will. Sir Robert admits he doesn't have the numbers in caucus to win now, but he hopes his parliamentary colleagues will listen to the growing support he says the public is giving him. How did caucus react to his decision? <laughs> I think it's what you could call a mixed reaction. Sir Robert Muldoon says that even if he loses the leadership election, he won't quit Parliament, saying, I have no plans to disappear in a puff of smoke. Asked if his actions didn't run the danger of splitting the National Party, he replied, it's already split. So that's the last time there was a, a race like this that played out in public. Um, interestingly, Rob Muldoon was dumped, but then just said, I'm going to stand anyway, I want the job. God, I love that, eh? That's <laughs> chutzpah, eh? Like, I don't care what you say. Uh, I don't care that none of you want me anymore. I'm coming back, you know? Yeah. And that was the thing, he hung around like a bad smell even afterwards, didn't he? He was well, in Parliament for quite a long time, didn't really get the hand turn and, no, and, and move and out. And, and he kept getting moved further and further back in the back benches until he was like the last ranked. <laughs> Interestingly, when Bill English resigned, was it only last week? Yeah, when I was looking back at things, um, they we discovered that, uh, as Bill English said, that when he first started here in 1990, Rob Muldoon was still in that caucus, in that caucus room. Wow. There were all these shots of Rob Muldoon sitting in the same room as Bill English. So um, they've both been around a long time. Um, so other, there has been some other things happening this week, and one of the big issues that's important, sometimes a bit, dry, as Sam Stephen might say, uh, are these big education changes, um, and let's have a look at Yvonne's track on that. Getting a handle on the business of reading as the government writes a new chapter on education. I think there will be significant change. As well as the NCEA review, the three-year plan will look again at the policy which established the Boards of Trustees system. The way school properties are managed and minimum qualification standards for home-based educators will also be a focus.
Education does take you know, a while to, to turn the, the ship around, if you like. Um, I think parents will start to notice a difference within a short space of time, though. Parents today saying they know what they want. That they're provided with a nurturing environment and that they learn the basics, you know, maths, reading and, yeah. I think any changes that should be done could make schools more equal. The government's also looking to increase the number of te reo speaking teachers as part of a plan to lift achievement levels. To develop Māori medium education is extremely important, but what the general public doesn't realise is that 95% of Māori are in mainstream education. National says it's not confident the problems have been identified. But what we've heard is very little detail around these um, plans, potentially a talk fest for three years. The wish list for teachers is simple, smaller class sizes and better specialist support services for children. We're basically scrapping amongst each other to get the best deal for our kids. So the important part is ensuring that people are able to have their say around what our education system looks like for our children. The government says an education summit in May will do just that, involving teachers, young people and their whanau. What did you think of what you saw? Um, it just looked like a big shopping list of, you know, what's going to be... And I get it, like, you, I get that you have to... Um, the Minister Chris Hipkins has to list... This is, what, this is my work programme for the next three years. Um, but with not a lot of detail... And he does... He's, you know, with the teacher... Uh, sorry, with the tomorrow's school policy he's open, he doesn't know what could come out of that, he's setting up a task force on that. Um, I, I take the view, and I, and I take the view that probably peer, it's quite a high level kind of a review, right? Yeah, absolutely. Everything across the whole sector is up for grabs, you know, how, how's it going to look? But but one thing that I, I think parents do care about the, you know, the everyday costs of education, so that um, the donations thing, you know, you know, basically they have to pay it right, or they, you know, some schools shame parents and families, and I think, you know, I think parents care about that, the cost of uniforms, the cost of getting their kids to school, I think those things are also something government should have a regard to. They, they kind of ignore it, right? But I think parents care about that. Well, this government has talked about getting rid of the so-called mm. donations. The problem they have, and the problem with the funding of schools, mm. is that there isn't enough money. And when it comes to this year's budget, they um, aren't going to have that much money to spend on education because they spend mm. it all on the family's package. And so this is the problem that Chris Hipkins is going to face with wanting to make these changes, which is why a summit, an education summit in May, around the time of the budget, may help delay him delay yeah. it a bit. Yeah. I, think, I think one thing actually that parents could care about, and I'm going to put a little plug in here for Newsroom, my colleague <laughs> Shane Callishaw um, <laughs> covered the announcement. He looked at the issue around board of boards of trustees. Mm. And there seems to be a suggestion there, although I think uh, Chris wouldn't, Hipkins wouldn't talk about it in any great detail, that they might go. And I think for a lot of parents that's quite important because mm. that's the main that's way the you way as a community a get a say yep. into how the school's run and administered. Yep. So, I mean, there's a long and way to go And students as someone who was board of trustees rep in high school. <laughs> I never would have guessed, <laughs> um, But yeah, they, I mean, and that's part of that tomorrow's school review and yeah. all of that but the, I mean this is basically this whole package was Chris Hipkins putting together every, as you said a wish list but mm. everything he's been talking about about wanting to change and they'll go out and consult and have another working group or summit or whatever it is they're doing in this case but they as you said parents care about those costs but I also think when they're talking they talked a lot in that document about making it 
I guess, personalised or user-friendly for each individual mm. pupil, particularly people who are disadvantaged or gifted. And the, again, money is the way to do that because you need smaller class sizes. Yep. The schools need the resources, they need the teacher aids, they need the people to be able to do that. And if there's not the money yep. to cope with it, then... There was that then announcement then, by the Prime Minister today about uh, for Christchurch schools... For mental health For nurses. mental health, um, psychologists in each... Nurses in, each nurses in each school. And and actually that is part of that whole thing. So teachers don't have to fight to get the, their kids support and you know, that makes a difference to how children learn, etc. So they're slowly moving down that line, I suppose. How that'll look across the whole country, we yes, don't know yet. And so much of it is ideo ideology as well. You know, mm. this is just Labour fundamentally has a different view on mm. how education should be run to national. Mm. So there's no surprises that these changes were going to be made. No. One thing that Labour has changed their mind on is the now CPTPP. Uh, let's have a look at what's happening there. Labour MPs on the protest line. Those are the bottom lines of the Labour Party. Now in government and selling the massive trade deal to the public. Their standard of living will improve from the freezing worker floor to the farm owner. The Trade Minister's released the National Interest Analysis and the text of the CPTPP. It could be worth up to $4 billion a year to the economy once fully implemented in 2040. But Labour admits it isn't perfect. We give ourselves a four and a half out of five. 22 items in the original agreement have been suspended. We've managed to secure the right of a future government to control who buys New Zealand homes. The new TPP is less problematic because some of the harder areas have been knocked off, but it's still a very, very good deal for New Zealand. There are some restrictions around investor state dispute clauses. Those allow foreign investors to sue governments. They've agreed with Australia that it won't apply between New Zealand and Australia, so a lot of investment in New Zealand won't get captured by it. And New Zealand's won further protections in other areas. Improvements on Farmac. We uphold the Treaty of Waitangi. There are meaningful gains for our exporters. The government is engaging in super spin. It knows that the assurances that it's giving, it can't guarantee. The original TPP deal is a high quality agreement that's good for New Zealand. This one is too, because it's hardly changed at all. But it still has its critics. The continued existence of the investor state dispute settlement mechanisms means that we can't support it. A number of items have been suspended, not removed. They can be reactivated and we can have the same bad old deal back in place. It's not quite a done deal. While all countries will sign it in Chile on March the 8th, they then have to take it through their own parliamentary processes. The government hopes it could kick in by the end of this year. And if that happens, it'll be cheaper to get a range of goods from kiwi fruit to wine to beef into some of the world's biggest markets. Yeah, the number of stories I've done about what was the TPPA and we came so close to it being signed and the number of stories saying it's nearly happening, it's nearly happening. So yesterday when I read all this, I thought, is it really happening? But I mean, what did you think as, as the foreign affairs and trade expert? Yeah, what do you think about what I, you I also have CPTPP fatigue, to be honest. It's been <laughs> dead and alive and dead and alive so many times. But, uh, you know, I look, it's I like think... like a cat with nine lives. Yeah, I think they now are in a position where it is going to get across the line. There's a little, little alterat. I mean, obviously the signing on March 8th isn't the end of it. It needs to go through the individual Parliaments, and that's going to take a little bit of time. He seemed to think, David Parker, that it's might maybe the end of this year, perhaps more likely the first half of next year. But look, they've hammered out everything now. There's nothing left on the table to renegotiate. So unless there's some last-minute power play, I think we're we're 
as close as we have been to the finish line. Yeah. What did you think, you know, the, about the four and a half hours? Oh, <laughs> I like, uh, look, I wasn't in the room when he marked himself, like the government, 4.5 out of five. But uh, I, I couldn't understand, was he being, like, he, he delivered it so deadpan. I was like, is this David dude, Parker. is this dude for <laughs> <David> real? <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm 4.5, you know, is he for real? Like, uh, you know, that, so that, that, was, about, way, that or, was about the know? changes that, that they, that Labour say that they've managed to achieve, which of course is not all about them. Many but it comes off no. sounding it looking a bit weird, yeah. right? Yeah, you know? I think he said something similar. He was he's doing some public outreach meetings. He said something similar then, and and he he I mean he claimed or he said you know look we're not trying to take more credit than is due, but I think if you look at the way he words things, mm. it, he makes it sound like it makes it sound like you know the provisions around Treaty of Waitangi around public regulation that's as a result of his government, whereas in reality that was all in the original TPP deal. Yeah. Um, now, there have been some provisions that have been suspended, and they were the controversial ones like copyright, biologics, but they were actually already in train before the election. So if you look at what they've actually changed, yes, they've made a move around um, regulating oh, against ISDN, yeah. foreign foreign ownership of homes and a little bit of a couple of slight tweaks to ISDS, but it is not fundamentally a different deal to and, and what it was no, before. No, and we don't know what other... Co- like the Australia ISDS... Th- Clause was always going to happen. That was that was there in the TPP. And, I think yeah. we again, you know, he's been a little bit mischievous and and sort of touting that because yes, it's in there now, but it was in there back in 2016. Mm. And he couldn't say and wouldn't say uh, yesterday, despite us repeatedly asking him what countries, how many countries he thinks he is going to get other carve outs on those ISDs. Won't be and any big ones. Any, you know, that that matter really the countries that matter. Mm. You'd think that's probably Canada Japan. Japan. Japan is a, a big fan of yeah. ISDs. Apparently, that's the main reason it's still in there. Canada, I don't think, would sign on. So we might get a little bit, but in terms of the amount of foreign direct investment coming in from the countries who do sign with, it's going to be minimal. It's not going to matter, yeah. Do you think people can say (laughs) TTPCP? Like, the the general public. Jacinda Ardern said herself, what did you say? It's terrible, a terrible name. It was actually hidden A as well. It is the Comprehensive and Progressive Agreement on Trans-Pacific Partnership. But for some reason they decided, oh, CPATPP would be too cumbersome. Let's just go with CPTPP. Something it would be a lot easier. Kip a tap? Yeah. I don't know. So great to have you with us, and thank you, Sam from newsroom.co.nz and Yvonne from our Auckland newsroom. Our, this was Inside Parliament, our weekly catch-up on the political stories of the week. You can catch us every Thursday from 7:30 p.m. on the One News Facebook page, SoundCloud, and check us out on iTunes. Yeah.